Self-contained systems is an architectural approach that separates the functionality of a system into many independent systems. Each self-contained system is an autonomous web application and is owned by one team. Communication with other self-contained systems or third-party systems is asynchronous where possible. There are other features of a self-contained system, and we get into them in this episode. As Eberhard Wolf explains, self-contained systems is not the same thing as microservices, but they are not mutually exclusive. Organizations often adopt a mix of architectural ideas, and it is worth understanding these different models so you can decide for yourself which of them to apply to your own projects. Eberhard Wolf works at InnoQ. Eberhard, welcome to Software Engineering Daily. Yeah, thanks for having me. Today we're going to discuss self-contained systems, which is an architectural pattern you are advocating for. What is a self-contained system? Yeah, so the idea is that um, in a way self-contained systems are just microservices, so they can be deployed independently. However, we try to make it more specific. So uh, self-contained systems are web applications. So they do have a web UI, they would render HTML uh, and do these kinds of things. And there's actually a website um, where you can look up the all the information about self-contained systems. So compared to microservices, they're actually pretty well defined. So you can look it up, see what the definition says, and then you can see whether something is a self-contained system, while it's not so clear with microservices. Um, the definition goes on, and it says that self-contained systems should contain the UI, the logic, and also data access. So persistence logic is also part of a self-contained system. So it's all in one system. Also, it has its own database schema. So you would store it would store its information in a separate schema from other self-contained systems and other uh, systems. So you can actually change them as you wish. And obviously they are somehow connected. So they are modules of a larger system. And the way they integrate, um, we prefer to do integration on the UI layer. So HTML links or other kinds of H uh, of web integration, um, then we advocate asynchronous communication. And lastly, we also allow for synchronous communication. So that's basically what it is. The idea is to, to build a system out of web applications and then integrate them on the UI layer or through primarily asynchronous communication. That's sort of the idea. I like the idea of self-contained systems being like microservices, except well-defined uh you know microservices is one of these things where it's like you struggle to i've done a bajillion shows about microservices and people struggle to agree on a definition for it i actually find so i did an interview with jonas bonner recently and we talked about what it actually means especially in contrast to service-oriented architecture uh, you and I are both hosts on Software Engineering Radio, and we've done some shows on that distinction as well. But what Jonas talks about in terms of microservices versus service-oriented architecture is that microservices are basically the modern manifestation of what service-oriented architecture was. So we had this movement towards cloud and mobile, 
and perhaps things like the reactive manifesto where we've come to conclusions about the ways that we want to build our systems and the principles that service-oriented architecture was advocating like isolation um i don't know there's other other traits these are things that are also true about microservices but microservices are merely the modern manifestation of those principles. And it sounds like the idea with self-contained systems is to take those ideas from microservices and then put even even more prescriptions around the ways that we should build these systems and the services within those systems. Yeah, in a way that's that's true. So um, let me let me first of all elaborate on microservices versus um, SOA because I actually believe that those are two separate things, and not necessarily by the way that they are implemented, but rather uh, by the goals. So I would argue that SOA is something that you do on the enterprise level, where you basically want to change the way your enterprise works your whole it infrastructure works so you would build uh, you would have all the systems and they would provide services and um, ultimately all of your it systems would provide such services and you would integrate them and i would argue that um, microservices in general are aiming at something different so i would argue that it's a decision that you make in every project so either you want to do your project using some traditional modularization technique like you know you would come up with you know modules inside your your source code or something or you could do it using microservices so the scope in my opinion is just a project um but on the other hand you're right i mean even looking at the name uh, microservices say that you would provide a service so it in a way it's um it's related to microservices and i would believe that this is something where self-contained systems put a different emphasis on things so the idea with self-contained systems is uh, to look at the graphical user interface and to provide everything to provide the ui the logic and the persistence while in some SOA approaches, of course, there are a lot of different SOA approaches, but in some SOA approaches, the idea is uh, to separate the UI and to have a portal as a generic UI to all of your services. And this is something where I would argue self-contained systems are more about a vertical split, while some SOA implementations advocate um, a horizontal split across, uh, to, to separate it across you know, to, to have a UI layer, to have an orchestration layer, and then to have the sort of atomic services. So I think in a way, uh, self-contained systems are quite different to at least that understanding of SOA. Are self-contained systems like an emergent property of some successful architectures that you've seen? Or was this like a deliberate decision that some people made to move towards this SCS model? Um. I think the key is that it is something that we see working in quite a lot of projects. Um, and it's not just me, it's also not just InnoQ. If you look at the um, SCS homepage, it's actually a lot of companies that do these kinds of things. Uh, so uh, one famous example, at least in, in Germany, is uh, Otto, which is the global number three in, in e-commerce. And they have a large project that they themselves claim 
is done using uh, the SCS approach. Um, so I, in a way, I, I would second what you said, that it's something that a lot of people see working in a, a lot of projects. Uh, it seems to be something, if you look at the success stories, that has a lot of traction, at least in Germany. Um, and that was one of the reasons why uh, I really wanted to do this podcast to, you know, to, to spread the word and to also make um, people in, in other countries aware of, of what's going on here in Germany and how some people are attacking these uh, these challenges that we have and what this approach to microservices is like. So it's not something that I just do or that just InnoQ does. It is something that is much broader. And if you look at the website, you will see a lot of links to different uh, people talking about self-contained systems and doing it themselves. There's this important emphasis in the self-contained systems architecture where each self-contained system is an autonomous web application. Why is this important? I would. It's important because um, if you look at you know your average feature request, I would argue that it will touch the UI. And to contain such a feature request in just one system, you would need to include the UI in that system. So not just logic, not just persistence, but also the UI. And that is why we put that emphasis on web applications. Um, this is also something that a lot of people um, are, let's say, confused about because they say, well, you know, um, so I'm building this API and, you know, I don't have a web UI. Uh, so why can't I do self-contained systems? And you can't, I mean, you literally can't because you don't have a web UI. So there is no way that you can do self-contained systems. Um, but still you can do this vertical split. So, you know, to have one functionality like a checkout in an e-commerce uh, system or a user registration or so something like that, like, you know, like a functionality and put that in one vertical system. However, in the case where you really just provide an API, it would just be an API and that's it. And you wouldn't call it a self-contained system. Still, you can get some, you can still use some of the ideas of self-contained systems. Also, uh, self-contained systems allow you to do an API in addition to uh, a web UI. So if you have a web UI and also you want to talk to mobile apps, for example, you can definitely do that. Uh, you will provide an API in addition to your web UI in one self-contained system, but still it's mandatory to have a web UI. And also I, I think one of the reasons why it's included is to be more specific to say, okay, this is a self-contained system. And if you don't have a web UI, it's not called a self-contained system. And it's a very specific definition for that reason. At the same time, what you're doing can still make perfect sense because, you know, uh, there are obviously um, architectures that do make sense and are not self-contained systems. In a company, you don't need to have all of the systems as self-contained systems in order to have some of them as self-contained systems. Is that accurate? Right. Yes, so you can, right. You can have and kind of a, he a heterogeneous architecture where you've got some self-contained systems and maybe those interact with other self-contained systems or with other microservices. 
yeah, or just traditional backend systems and so on. And that is also one of the things where I'm actually not entirely happy with the definition, to be perfectly honest, because what the definition says is you must include the logic in the self-contained system. However, I have a hard time imagining that in any and every case, uh, you can just have all the logic in your self-contained system. So I wouldn't be surprised if there are, if you still call to some backend, and I think that's still fine. Uh, so, you know, I, it's not like uh, you must have all the logic in your front-end system. That will not make any sense. But still, you should have as much logic in there and you should also have the persistence in there uh, to gain, well, to contain a feature request, as I said, in one system. Still, there might it might make sense to have uh, a backend system and to have your self-contained system talk to a backend system. We should be talking more about this uh, interaction pattern. The entire company is made up of these different self-contained systems and perhaps microservices, perhaps other backend systems, like you said. What are the ways that these self-contained systems and other services, how are they interacting with each other? Yeah, so um, that is one of the things that I think is, is the strength about self-contained systems. So it's actually pretty clearly defined. So what, what uh, it says is that you should aim for asynchronous communication. And the reason why you want to, to aim for asynchronous communication is because then you don't need to care about, you know, failure cascades, for example. I mean, one of the problems that you have with uh, these kinds of distributed systems is that, well, if one system fails, it's bad if that leads to an error cascade and makes all the other systems fail. And ultimately, it's just a small piece of the system that fails, but nothing works anymore because all the other systems are also affected. If you do asynchronous communication and a system fails, well, it just adds to the latency and you have to deal with latency anyway. So it's not that much of an issue. So for that reason, we advocate asynchronous communication. Now, if you do, and, and there is a lot, there is some confusion about asynchronous communication. So what does it actually mean? So the sort of definition of asynchronous communication that we're talking about is imagine that a self-contained system gets, uh, receives an HTTP request and it has to answer that HTTP request. What it must not do is talk to another system and wait for the answer. Uh, so that is basically what this kind of asynchronous communication is all about. So um, now you might wonder, how do you deal with a case where you definitely, definitely want to get some information, some data from some, some backend system uh, to fulfill the request? And, um, well, if you want to do it asynchronously, you need to replicate data. That's basically what it boils down to. So you need to talk to the backend system and you need to do an asynchronous call and it will provide you all the updates of the data and you would store it in your own database. And then you have asynchronous communication. So you would replicate the data, store it in your database. And then if a request comes in, you just do it or, or, or handle it using the data that you have in your database. So that's the idea. However, as I said before, I mean, obviously that means, you know, you have to replicate data and there's the cap theorem. So it's your choice to either be consistent or available. And there are these issues around, um, around um, consistency. 
So if it is also still um, an option to do a synchronous communication, but then you have to deal with the error cascades. So that is why we focus on asynchronous communication. The asynchronous versus synchronous communication discussion is pretty important. The So as you said, I, I, and I want to drive this, this point home because I think some people are not familiar with asynchronous versus synchronous communication is with asynchronous communication, you can make a request to an external system or a service and you can just continue with your own thread and eventually you get a callback that is asynchronous with your own thread. And this is in contrast to the idea that if you make a request and then you block until you get a response, that can lead to a severe failure if there is a large delay in in getting that response and um in in the interview that i did with uh jonas bonner recently about reactive microservices he also talked about the asynchronous communication being really important it's one of the properties that are explored in the reactive manifesto is the idea of self-contained systems architecture is that also influenced by the reactive manifesto of course, this is something that is important and interesting. However, um, I think we actually do have a somewhat different um, idea about asynchronous communication. Um, if you look at the non-blocking I.O. things and um, these, what what is usually something that, that you would call reactive, this is not necessarily what we are talking about. So it would be perfectly fine to have, you know, um, an HTTP request and to have a thread that is blocking and would get some data from somewhere and put it in your own local database. Um, that's perfectly fine. It just must not happen while you are receiving a request. So it would be possible to use your traditional servlet based um model where you would have a thread and the thread is blocked because of IO. And you know, you would have one thread that says, okay, I'm just copying over some data from some other system and uh, do that. And you have another thread that handles a, an incoming HTTP request. The only thing is that you must not wait for any other system to react and that's it. And um, I think you can, or you can basically implement that using, you know, uh, reactive uh, systems as well as your traditional uh, blocking I.O. systems. So it's both poss possible. And that is why, you know, I, why, why I keep talking about this definition of asynchronous communication, because it's, it's asynchronous communication on a different level, I would argue. It's not, um, not necessarily the level that uh, the reactive guys talk about. Well, then let's go deeper into that. So by emphasizing asynchronous communication, you encourage the system to adopt eventual consistency uh, at more levels. D explain that in more detail. Why is this useful? Well, because it, it boils down to the question, um, how do you handle, well, these the, the problems that you have in distributed systems that nodes might fail and the, that you might uh, get, might have a node failing and uh, you don't want to have all of the system fail. So the way to deal with that is uh, to 
not talk to that node and not do a synchronous communication, but rather copy over the data beforehand. And then you're just, you know, using your own system, your own database, and you basically are not really even developing a, a distributed system. Because if a request comes in, it's just handled in your own system with your own database, and that's it. Um, the downside of that is that, well, you replicate data. So um, you would have your own copy of the data that might or might not be consistent with, with what other people have. So, you know, for that reason, you might come into situations where data is inconsistent. And that's sort of the downside of the whole thing. Um, let me add one thing, because I think that's really, really important. And I think one missing link that is often forgotten about is the discussion around domain-driven design and bounded context. So what we are saying, uh, or what, what you see in microservices is that people say, well, the microservice should be a bounded context. So let's assume that we have a system an e-commerce system and you know you have a product search um, and there is another part of the system that handles the orders and you know your order history both of these systems have some kind of well products and they they have some model for a product i would argue if you look at the catalog that product would contain you know the size of the product the color the current price, all of these kinds of things, because you, you really want to have the customer search for the product and ultimately find the product. Um, if you look at the order history, the only thing that you're really in, uh, interested in is the historic price of um, the product. So the price that you paid for it when you ordered the product, because it's part of the order history. So these are two bounded contexts. So if you look at one bounded context, it's the search and there's all the up-to-date information and it's pretty detailed because you really want to have people find the product. And on the other hand, there is this um, model for the orders, for the order history, where you're only really interested in, well, the, the historic price. Now, if you apply that to these, these questions around um, inconsistency, um, well, those two systems don't even share data because they have some, they, they are different bounded contexts. So it's not useful to even talk about inconsistency between those two systems because they have very different models of uh, the same kind of data. So the product in our case. So I think one of the things that is often forgotten in this discussion is yes, almost any system in your e-commerce system will talk about products. So it seems as if there might be inconsistency around the product, but really it's different facets, different bounded contexts, different models for the product. So the question whether you really have inconsistencies uh, is a completely different one because it's really different data that you have. And for that reason, um, I think in some cases, if you have a really smart domain architecture, the problem around inconsistent data might not even, you know, surface because it's really uh, different data that all of those systems have, even though at first sight, it seems as if they have the same data because they all talk about products, for example. With microservices architecture, you often have these services that are dependent on each other. So you can get these request chains 
And if you want to have a graceful failover, uh, in the event that one of those dependencies in the chain goes down, you need to implement a circuit breaker pattern. Does the self-contained systems model have this property of dependencies as well, or is there something about self-contained systems that lets you avoid that type of um, request chain problem? I would argue that the ideal self-contained system would handle the request based on its local state and its local data and would not call any other system uh, synchronously. And in that case, you don't need to have a circuit breaker because you don't talk to other systems while you handle a request. And I think that's actually one of the strengths about that model. Um, so if you achieve, if you come up with self-contained systems and you avoid synchronous communication, you don't need to have a circuit breaker because there is no other system that you need to talk about while you handle an incoming request. So. As long as you can stay away from synchronous calls, which are still allowed, but you know, discouraged, then you wouldn't need to have um, a circuit breaker. That's basically the idea. Well, so I want to talk about pers persistence a little bit more. What What's the persistence model for one? So you have, just for listeners who are a little confused, you have in self-contained system, you have multiple self-contained systems that are communicating with each other. Each self-contained system may have its own set of microservices within that self-contained system. What about persistence? What's the persistence model for a given self-contained system in this entire company that might be running a bunch of self-contained systems? So self-contained systems are supposed to have their own uh, database schema. That's sort of the minimum requirement. They might even have their own database, uh, but that's not really needed. Um, I would argue that this is a rule that should be applied to microservices in general. Um, so in my opinion, microservices or self-contained systems are just modules. So, you know, you have a large system and you divide your large system into modules. And, you know, there are these ideas about encapsulation and information hiding for modules. And usually the idea is uh, to have an internal state and protect that state and only allow access to that state from the outside through an interface. I think that's the very core of uh, the module concept. Um, if you apply the module concept to an object-oriented class, for example, it basically means that you have some methods and you have instance variables and no one outside your class should touch those instance variables. And I guess we can all agree on that. If you apply the same idea to microservices, I would argue that the state of a microservice is in the database. And the same ideas apply as for object-oriented classes. So no one should touch your state, which is the database. So you should have a separate database because it's basically your state. Encapsulation means access to the state of a microservice to the database only through the interface of the microservice or the self-contained system. So for that reason, I would argue that you should or you must basically separate schemas and it's very illogical not to do it because you go, you know, you invest all that effort into decoupling and then uh, you're like, okay, well, but you know, here's my data just use it and I don't care. And I think that's very illogical uh, because then you have a very tight coupling on the database layer. 
Now you can extend that so you can have each self-contained system could have its own database, a different type of database. Then you end up with polygonal persistence. However, obviously there is a downside because it's a lot more complexity. There are, there are a lot of more of technologies that you have to deal with and you would need to have, you know, backup disaster recovery for all of these databases. So I'm not sure whether you would go that far, but I would argue that if you do microservices or self-contained systems, they should all have a separate schema, possibly in the very same database. Does this ever lead to redundant data in different systems? Yeah, of of course. And, um, you know, that's that's sort of the downside. And um, I guess there are there are only two ways out of that. And that is either you deal with the inconsistencies and the redundant data um, or you use synchronous call to a centralized service that provides the data to everyone. And then you need to deal with uh, the problems concerning, you know, failures and things like that. So if I get a request and I need to have some data, I can either get it from my own database and it would probably be a replica and, you know, you would have inconsistencies or I would go to the centralized service and get the data from there. And then it's consistent because everyone uses that centralized service. But then you would need to deal with failure cascades and problems that might occur during that uh, synchronous call and so on. And it's a trade-off and you need to, well, you need to, to make the right trade-off at the right point in your system. So it's your choice as a software architect. As we mentioned earlier, a self-contained system can contain its own microservices within it. Why would you do that? Yeah, uh, to be perfect, I think that's one of the things that is confusing if you talk about the idea uh, because first you're like okay a self-contained system is an independent deployable unit so it's a microservice and then the next thing that you're saying is well uh, but still you can have separate microservice inside a self-contained system i believe if you look at microservices there are different reasons why you would create a microservice so one reason would be here is some piece of functionality and uh, you want to separate it in a module and you end up with a bounded context with a specific domain model and you have one team that deals with that functionality and that's basically the sort of granularity of a self-contained system um, so for example uh, you might have you know the the checkout process and that might be such a uh, such a bounded context where you have a specific model about, you know, a shopping cart that becomes an order during the checkout and things like that. Now, it might be that one part of that uh, checkout process, let's say the payment, um, it talks to an external system. And for that reason, it needs to be really scalable. And there are other requirements because that system that does the payment, that external system is very slow and unreliable. And now you figure, well, you know, if I separate that in a separate component by itself uh, that can run on more servers or that I can tune differently with the operating system or stuff like that, um, that might be beneficial. So you separate that one piece of your system of the checkout process that just talks to a payment server. 
And I would call that a microservice if it's a process by itself in its own Docker container and so on. But I would still be fine with um, that service sharing the same data model uh, that all of the other parts of the checkout process have. Because the only reason that I separated it is uh, scalability. It's not about um, it's not about decoupling from the domain logic perspective. It's just because of scalability. And that is an example where a self-contained system for checkout might contain microservices for reasons such as scalability. And generally speaking, I would argue that there are these more coarse-grained microservices, self-contained systems that are around, you know, bounded context and so on. And then there are more fine-grained microservices that are probably separated from one another uh, for more technical reasons like scalability and what have you. So I think that is why a self-contained system might contain microservices. Let's go back to the idea of the web interface that you advocate for every self-contained system within a company. You advocate that this web interface should be used as the point of integration between systems. Explain why that is so useful. Um, because the web is allows for very decoupled integration. I think that's the main point. I mean, if you look at uh, the web, it's the largest distributed system we have. And um, it is based on links. And links are very decoupled because, you know, if you have a URL... Um, the, the, whatever information is behind that URL, you are pretty decoupled from it. So it might be HTML. It might be, you know, a JPEG. It might be an HTML page, including, uh, CSS and JavaScript. It might even be a complete JavaScript application or what have you. So there are little assumptions that you have on your side if you just provide a link. And for that reason, I think, um, integrating on the UI layer, is often overlooked. It is something that, uh, in particular, backend people uh, like myself um, are not. You know that that's not what they are focusing in on. I would say if you if you talk to them and say, okay, we do REST communication and that is how we integrate, it's obvious. But if you say, okay, we rather want to have some integration on the UI layer, it is not something that you know comes immediately to your mind if you want to integrate systems. But it's very powerful. And that is one of the things that I like about self-contained systems, that it focuses on that kind of integration. Can you explain more what you mean by that? Because people listening to this are probably very familiar with the idea of, okay, it's a RESTful API, I make a request to this API, and I get back a blob of JSON. And then when you're saying, oh, no, actually your integration is going to be over the web interface, some people listening to that might be like, what? What does that even mean? One way of um, so so let's let's take a very simple uh, simple example. So there is a system that uh, allows you to do a product search, and then there is a product details service. Um, so it provides you all the details about a product. Um, how do you integrate those two? Well, it's very simple. Uh, the product um, search would just render links that go to the product details service, and that's it. And you know it's a very very simple integration. And the benefit is if the product detail service decides to, you know, uh, display products very differently, 
there is no problem because uh, all you have is that um, URL that you're rendering and whatever whatever is rendered is actually uh, up to the product detail service to decide what it looks like. So that's a very simple example of how that works and how flexible the whole approach is. You have this set of recommendations for how to build a web interface for a self-contained system called R-O-C-A, ROCA. What are some of those principles? What is ROCA? Um, it's one approach that we advocate for um, such, well, for, for web applications in general. And um, in a way, what it says is that uh, you should just, well, create norm let's say normal web applications so it's uh, it's called resource oriented client architecture and what you do is you would create html pages the html pages would um, contain all the information it is um, it uses rest principles so there is a um, identifiable resource uh, with a url and you would use all uh, the different um, methods, HTTP methods, as they as they are intended to be used. So you would have get request posts uh, that you know just can be cached and that won't have any side effects. Post requests that would have side effects, and so on and so on. So in a way, it is the way that we used to build web applications from the very beginning. Um, there are some things that are a little bit harder to understand. So for example, we advocate or Roka advocates uh, to use JavaScript um, not to contain in the business logic. And it actually says that the system should still be usable even if JavaScript is switched off. Now, of course, nowadays everyone has JavaScript uh, switched on. So, you know, it doesn't seem to make a lot of sense at first sight. But what that really means is that all of the logic will be on the server side. And you can actually prove that it's on the server side because um, you can switch off JavaScript and the system still works. And that is beneficial because, um, for example, you cannot, for security reasons, you cannot trust the client. Uh, so the client can be tampered with. And uh, it is also, um, it also means that all the logic is on the server so you know if you add a different interface you can be sure like an api that all the logic is already in on the server and so on and so on and so on and it's a different approach from single page apps where you would say well um, basically your client is just a very large piece of javascript code and it runs inside the browser um, so Roka is basically uh, trying to go back to sort of web applications as they were meant to be and uh, originally meant to be. And it's different from single page app from SPAs. And uh, con concerning self-contained system, self-contained systems, the advantage is that um, it allows you a much more flexible integration. So let's assume that you would build your system, so that e-commerce system, and you would build your e-commerce system using a single page app. So basically there is one huge single page app that would talk to a lot of backend services. That's basically how you would create it. And that's 
fine, but the problem with that approach is that on the one hand, if you use microservices, you are investing a lot of effort to split those backend services. But then on the front end, it's all one single page app. And that is where self-contained systems say, well, um, it's probably a smarter idea to also split the front end. And then obviously the question is, how do you do that? How can you make sure that uh, you can compose your front end from all those smart, small systems? And that is something that single page apps really can't do. In a way, they are just deployment monolith. And that is where the web is quite useful because you can use links to communicate between the different parts. Or what I haven't really spoken about is a transclusion. So you in one of your systems, let's say in your e-commerce system, uh, there is you know a small icon that says, these are all the things that are in your shopping cart. And you could transclude that from one specific system that is responsible for the shopping cart. So you would add that HTML of that shopping cart system to the HTML of all other systems. And if the shopping cart decides to change its rendering, that's fine because, you know, you're integrating the HTML. That's basically the idea. And there are some tools or some techniques that you can use to enable such transclusion. So you can, you can do that on the server side, or you can do that using JavaScript and include the HTML. And it's much more flexible. So uh, I think the, it's sort of the, the synergy is if you use a Roca based front end, it's much easier to integrate different self-contained systems into one UI and really make a lot of use from that UI integration. So that's how it adds up. And it's not that easy if you do um, a single page app. When I do shows about microservices, a lot of the conversations are around the organizational impact of uh, the microservices architecture. Though uh, there are benefits to, on the technological side, like you have this isolation, this isolated context that you can scale up and down. Uh, there's other things that are advantageous technologically, but people talk about the organizational effects pretty often. What are the organizational effects of moving towards self-contained systems? How does that affect the company structure? That's a very good question. So uh, self-contained systems actually say that one self-contained system uh, belongs to one team. Uh, so it actually talks about the organization, even on the definition side. Um, and as you said... Is I, it a two-pizza team? Yeah. Um, I mean, usually if you talk about uh, about um, teams, it's usually that's that's the size that, that I'm thinking about. Um, so like, you know, a scrum team, it's, it's all pretty much the same size. Um, and... For that reason, so if you look at the definition, we actually talk about the organizational impact in the definition. Um, and I mean, if you look at it, um, if you do such a split, as I spoke about, where each self-contained system has a boundary context, it means if there is a feature request, one team can do that in one self-contained system. So. That's great because, you know, the product owner would just talk ideally to one uh, team and they would just build that in one self-contained system and they would, could even go live 
with just one release. So there is no need to coordinate um, concerning releases and so on because they are isolated to one self-contained system. Features are isolated to one self-contained system. So I would argue that one of the ideas around self-contained uh, self systems is to play sort of a trick to say, okay, we are building this software architecture and it's so decoupled that you can have features implemented in one module, deployed in one module without talking to the other modules. So there is no need to build up a huge organization um, and to have um, you know meetings all the time to talk about when you, uh, you're going to release what, because the, the teams are largely independent. And I think you can only do that if you really implement everything in one module. So the UI, the logic and the persistence, because otherwise you would need to talk to other modules and to coordinate with other, other modules to get that feature live. So I think that's how it adds up. This is about the domain logic and you know the, the, um, the, the, the functions and the features and so on. Also on a technical level, um, this approach pretty much like microservices decouple teams from one another. So, you know, if one team says, okay, we are really going to build that using, um, you know, uh, Ruby and everyone else is using Java, they can do that because a technological decision is limited to one self-contained system and every self-contained system, because it's a web application, can have its own technology stack. So you don't need to coordinate that much in that regard either. Now, it doesn't really mean that, you know, you have to use every programming language on earth in every project, but still, I mean, if I decide to roll out a bug fix in a specific library, it's only my system and only my system that is being rolled out with a different uh, version of the library. And there is no need to, you know, coordinate a lot with all the other systems. Um, so using this approach, self-contained system, there is independence in terms of how you implement features. And there is also independence uh, concerning technology. And for that reason, the teams are pretty decoupled. And that's a way to, you know, scale your, your organization. Let me just add one thing. Sorry. Um, what I don't like about the discussion, sometimes it sounds as if microservices or self-contained systems only make sense if you have, you know, a very large team. And I don't really think so. So this decoupling have, has a lot of benefits, not just from the organizational side, but also, you know, you can deploy quicker. It's easier to implement continuous delivery. There are, um, robustness might increase, uh, better scalability and so on and so on. So sometimes I don't like the discussion because it really focuses a lot on the organizational impact. And uh, sometimes I feel as if, you know, other benefits are forgotten uh, because the, the organizational impact is what people talk a lot about. Well, the conversation that we're having might be fairly abstract for some people who are listening. We are talking about very broad architectural principles. You mentioned a company Auto, that is an example of a company building self-contained systems. Can you talk more about that case study? Yeah, uh, so actually they um, they talk about that um, themselves quite, quite a lot. And there are, if you go to the self-contained systems uh, website, um, 
you can find links uh, where where they talk about what what they did. Um, so basically, they created uh, all of their uh, e-commerce website anew using these ideas. Uh, so they originally called it verticals because it's really you know that's really what it's about, uh, splitting your system into verticals. And um, there is a blog post that says that what they call verticals are self-contained systems. Um, so and you know. Because they are the number three in, in e-commerce, even on a global scale, it's actually a very nice uh, story uh, because um, it shows the, what you can do using that approach and um, how powerful it is. And it's it's really core to, to what they are doing. So I'm, I'm pretty happy that uh, they talk about it. They actually advocate it and uh, that they did these, these blog posts about it. The other big trend that we haven't really talked about in this episode is the serverless movement and i I'm not, I'm not talking just about lambda but i so i recently had a conversation with a guy at a conference and he is about to launch this complex robotics platform it's like venture funded company uh and they were able to ship in about a year because they focused on using external services like managed machine learning from Google. They use Firebase as their database. These services are often called serverless. And then, of course, there are these things like Lambda. Are there parallels between the movement towards that you're advocating towards self-contained systems and the ideas of serverless? What are the synergies there? Um, you know, I don't know. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, uh, so... I think that's a very good question. Um, I have to admit that if I look at, at self-contained systems, it's a more coarse-grained approach. So basically what we're saying is a self-contained system is, you know, a web application and, you know, it might be a bounded context. So it might have its own data model. And um, I suspect that um, what serverless systems are really about is to have much, much smaller uh, deployable units and um, as we as we as we spoke be, uh, as we said before um, a self-contained system might consist of you know smaller microservices so you could have a self-contained system that contains multiple microservices um, that run on serverless environments um, but to be honest I think that's not the focus and it's not really what we are seeing. Um, so I would believe or what, what we see in, in most of our customers are more, you know, the, the sort of traditional approach where you would use, you know, Docker or some, some other means uh, to deploy your self-contained systems and not so much serverless. And I think that's, that's probably fine. Um, it's, it's just, you know, yeah, it's, it's a rather cost-grained approach. So for that reason, it's not, I would argue, it's probably not the ideal fit for, for serverless. Is there anything else that we haven't discussed about self-contained systems that you'd like to touch on? I mean, I think one of the things that, you know, that are really challenging concerning self-contained systems and that, you know, might be worth investigating even further is um, that the UI integration leads to a lot of, uh, you know, additional uh, challenges. So one of the, the challenges is, so you want to create one system 
so it has to have a common look and feel. So there has to be some way of creating, you know, that common look and feel. Um, so these kinds of things, so, you know, you might have a common asset project where all the assets are in like CSS and JavaScript, or you might have a common asset server. Then you, you, you have, you know, that centralized uh, piece of data and of assets that you need to take care of. Um, so those are some, some things that you wouldn't have in traditional systems and that are more, you know, front end, um, type of challenges. And that is something that um, is interesting about self-contained systems. It's also something that a lot of people ask. So how do I get that, you know, common look and feel? How do I make sure that all of the uh, self-contained systems really look the same? So um, that is, I think, something that is important and interesting. And uh, it is something that, you know, you need to cover if you really want to start doing that and uh, if you really want to do it. So I think that's that's a very interesting and, and uh, important topic. All right, Eberhard, thank you for coming on to Software Engineering Daily to talk about self-contained systems. And I just want to say it's been a pleasure working alongside you on Software Engineering Radio for all these years. Uh, I think you were a founding member of Software Engineering Radio. Is that accurate? Yeah, I mean, Marcus uh, back in the days founded it, but uh, I was, I think I was there from pretty much the beginning. So uh, that's actually true. I had, I had a break in between, but um, I did, I did a few of the very first shows. Yeah, I'm very thankful for Software Engineering Radio because it's essentially the thing that I copied to build this business. So uh, I'm, I'm glad you were a part of it and you helped sustain it long enough for me to find out about it. Yeah, thanks a lot for, for Software Engineering Daily. So I really enjoyed that, uh, uh, also listening to the podcast. And thanks for having me on the show. Wonderful. Okay, well, thanks, Everhard. Everhard.